Hi, folks. Welcome to the Great Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Calvin Smith. And of course, this is where we discuss five big topics, the gospel, relevance, evangelism, apologetics, and training for Christians, all in relation to the truth of God's word in Genesis as the seedbed of all Christian doctrines. What are we up to today? Well, we're going to be covering the topic of fossils and how they affect um, believers' worldviews. And most people really have no clue how those two are connected. So we're going to unravel that today. You know, if I asked you, how old are fossils? Well, if you grew up uh, like I did, taught in state-run schools here in Canada or probably the U.S., or, you already have an answer. Millions of years. You see, most people find fossils fascinating, and I did. And as I grew up learning the typical evolutionary stories, party line, kind of, you know, regarding rocks and fossils, that slow fossilization you know, that was true and that fossils were millions of years old. I read all sorts of books with detailed and, you know, colorful diagrams uh, showing that fossils formed mostly when animals or plants died in watery environments. And there would, you know, often be references to, to some kind of former inland sea from millions of years ago, of course, in the area where that particular fossil uh, being discussed was found. And I could easily recite the standard example of how fossils formed to any adult would bother to take the time to listen. And by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, well, well, who cares? What is the idea of fossils being millions of years old even matter? Well, con consider this. If the fossil record with all of its recorded death and suffering occurred millions of years prior to Adam sinning, then God must have used death to create. Therefore, it couldn't have been Adam's sin that allowed death and suffering into the creation. And then what then is Jesus going to save us from? How, how could uh, a Christian answer why there's so much pain and suffering in the world if God was good and yet he used diseases like cancer to create? We find that in the fossil record. How do you determine which parts of the Bible are true then? See, it actually attacks the character of God to believe he used billions of years of death and suffering and disease and called it very good at the end of the creation. And by the way, if God's going to one day restore the world to its previously unmarred state as it was pre-fall, if it's going to be full of death and suffering the way it was in the beginning, then how are we even going to know the difference? So anyway, back to fossils. Now, when I explain fossils to people years ago, I, I typically use the canned example I'd seen and heard so often, a fish, for example. According to a typical series of pictures I'd seen depicted in a wide assortment of books, you know, a fish would die, sink to the bottom of the lake, get slowly covered in layers of, you know, silt and mud. And then as millions of years would pass, the sediment got compressed. As new layers gathered, you know, the mud would turn into rock, the fish would become permineralized, and voila, it became a fossil. And so convincing was this seemingly scientific process that I never seemed to compare it to what I'd actually observed dead fish doing, sitting on the bottom of the Atlantic at the end of a wooden dock I'd sat on, you know, feet dangling over the water in Newfoundland. <laughs> and if I'd just taken a few seconds to think about it, I would have really, you know, easily realized that there was something fishy going on, <laughs> pun intended, with this evolutionary explanation. That what my own eyes observed is that Dead fish tend to float and they bloat and the ones that were at the bottom were chewed up by crabs and little nippers, you know, quite quickly. And even the bones didn't seem to last that long. And I realized now I'd been taught what to think, not how to think. And I really had never heard anyone challenge these ideas in class, for example. And like me, due to that widespread evolutionary indoctrination in the school system, most people, even Christians, still believe that it takes millions of years for rocks to form and a living organism to become a fossil. 
And I realize now that a major reason I never doubted these ideas is that I had never been shown an alternative uh, explanation for how fossils could have formed. And I never heard one person in my earlier years even mention that a giant catastrophe, especially the great deluge that was recorded in the Bible, could have buried creatures rapidly and completely and formed fossils very quickly. And after revisiting the whole idea of fossilization many years later, I realized that evolutionary researchers can explain many things according to that long age paradigm, which is likely why they've begun more recently to embrace and incorporate catastrophic explanations into their evolutionary system. But anyway, um, you know, like why they have found fossilized animals in the middle of very specific short term activities and actions like eating and giving birth. Um, for example, even a fossil squid like creature was discovered in the southeastern uh, coast of England with its arms wrapped around a fish with its head that was crushed. And this supposed 200 million year old fossil, um, of course, it was discovered in the 19th century, but was recently kind of re-examined and, and, and identified as the oldest known uh, coleoid or a class of cephalopods that uh, include octopuses and squid and cuttlefish. And, and this is an example of the oldest known example of a coleoid attacking prey. It appears that the, the squid had captured, killed, and was about to eat this fish when, according to evolutionary researchers, both animals were buried in sediments so suddenly by a catastrophic event that they were entombed instantaneously. And of course, obviously fossilized quite rapidly before decay set in. Of course, you know, squids, they, they kind of turn into jelly uh, when, they, when they die. Um, so these types of fossils are becoming well-known. For example, at the Creation Museum in the United States, we have a fossil fish displayed that was swallowing another fish when they were buried. Um, another is a fossil of a horseshoe crab with its tracks visible in the sediment it was traveling along. So this indicates that not only was it buried at lightning speed, according to the common geological perspective, but that the right chemical conditions in the sediment for rapid fossilization to protect the specimen and, and its tracks must have been present eliminating the need for any kind of deep time process to account for the fossilization process. So even more rapidly decaying soft body animals now have like, like jellyfish have been found in Australia and Canada, Germany, the United States and other countries. And this presents an incredible conundrum for evolutionary scientists because jellyfish decay so rapidly, they typically leave no trace whatsoever even after a very short time. And the details of the fossil jellyfish discovered are so well preserved that they reveal minute details that demonstrate the complexity of these so-called ancient jellyfish. Well, they're actually very similar to their modern counterparts. That means that these fossils formed very rapidly, which by the way, means the sedimentary rock that they're preserved in hardened almost immediately, not slowly over thousands of years. But what about rocks? I mean, fossils are typically embedded in rock, which means if the fossilization of an organism ha occurred rapidly, then the rock they are trapped in must have been formed quickly as well. And as we just talked about, the fossils and rocks that I, I just mentioned earlier, they didn't come about according to the tales I'd been told as a young kind of naive and easily influenced student. But the naturalistic indoctrination most people have received is, is really powerful. And sometimes it's hard to break. You know, most of us have been told over and over since we were very young that it takes millions of years for large portions of strata that we see all around the world to have formed. But there's a lot of evidence against that. 
uh, similar to our fishy fossil uh, finds we were just talking about. How would that explanation fit with the with the clock? They've actually found a clock in rock in Washington in the United States in 1975, an actual clock. I mean, obviously the, that clock wasn't, you know, a million year old construct and the rock it was embedded in was formed after the clock, you know, was, which disqualifies it as an ancient fossil relic. So we know rocks can form rapidly under the right conditions, and, and we can find evidence of this uh, having happened throughout the world. All those fossils found uh, across the earth are consistent with rapid catastrophic burial, and the sheer magnitude and the worldwide scope of them speak of them as the consequence of a global flood, which is described in Genesis 6 to 9, Noah's flood. Fossil graveyards are explained by the flood of Noah's day. And when you realize that this was a real event, you can understand that the flood would have swept away plants and animals, creating huge amounts of biomass, burying them in waterborne sediments. And this would mean many were, were buried, um, you know, en masse and would have created huge fossil graveyards, of course, which we find around the world. So as one example, uh, mixtures of fossils uh, found together uh, of creatures that normally wouldn't coexist in the same environment have also been found in fossil graveyards, like the, the Messel Pits in Germany. And here, fossils of birds and, and, and amphibians, reptiles, insects, fish, and mammals, well, they're all found in the same place. And this, once again, does away with the old slow and steady evolutionary story that I was taught. And not only that, many of the animals in the pit, some of which are extinct and some of the others are just like the ones we see today in present times, are so well-preserved they show color, fur, food in their stomachs, and they demonstrate certain activities like a, like a pair of turtles mating <laughs> when the catastrophic event that preserved them occurred. So, so how long does it take then to make a fossil? Well, try asking that question with your friends and family as an experiment. Uh, those, of course, that are unfamiliar with these arguments. Just, just try it as a metric of, to see what most people believe about those ideas. What, what are you going to hear? A million years? 100,000 years? 10,000 years? A week? Watch most of them shake their head in disbelief when you tell them the scientific fact. How long does it take to make a fossil? A day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fossils have been made in a laboratory in 24 hours, mimicking naturally occurring fossils to a T. And this news was published in a secular article from the University of Bristol uh, titled, uh, Creating Synthetic Fossils in the Lab Sheds Light on Fossilization Process. I mean, Google it. We, and it mentions that the experimental samples or what we refer to as these synthetic fossils were compared to real fossils, supposedly thousands or millions of years old, and that they were basically identical. And, and just to reiterate, the article describes their similarity as not just superficial in nature. Quote, not just visually, but also microscopically as revealed using a scanning electron microscope, scientists even found that just as in the naturally occurring fossils, the 24-hour fossils contain preserved microscopic pigment-bearing structures called melanosomes that reside within the organic films in feathers and lizards treated, while unstable protein and fatty tissues degrade and are lost. So this experiment, uh, accomplished using a hydraulic press, shows that under the right conditions, fossils can form very rapidly rather than taking millions of years. And by the way, if you look this article up, you might want to bookmark this evolutionary-based article so that you can reference it as an unbiased source and forward it to those people you're talking to. Because most people, they're just going to flat out not believe you when you tell them that fossils, legitimate fossils, can form in a day. So 
The fossil evidence found around the world only makes sense in the light of a global flood. The rapid burial caused by consecutive water surges and associated layers of sediment preserved and fossilized the animal bodies and even their footprints and other tracks. So Noah's flood makes far better sense than the evolutionary stories I, uh, I grew up with anyway. And scripture predicted this reaction, by the way, from skeptics in 2 Peter 3, 3 6, uh, where it says this. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they have been from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by the means of these, wor- uh, means of these the world that then existed was deluged by water, with water and perished." Yeah, they deliberately overlook that the water, that the world was deluged with water. You see, Noah's flood is the only clear explanation for the great variety of fossils that experts find today. And it's powerful evidence of quickly buried animals like octopus and jellyfish before they could even decay or even be scavenged speak of the authenticity of the biblical account. So if you're having a hard time witnessing um, to people, well, these topics can be used as a segue from the material to the spiritual in conversations with these people. You know, why not plan on on this, asking the question, hey, how long do you think it takes for a fossil to form to someone that, you know, soon it, it could make kind of a great springboard to some kind of uh, conversation that the Lord can use to enlighten someone in your life to the truth of God's word, especially, of course, the gospel message. Again, if you're appreciating this content, please visit the AnswersInGenesis.ca website. Consider donating to the ministry. And of course, whatever platform you're accessing this on, it most likely has some combination of features that allow you to share and subscribe and like and, and so on. Maybe do a review. We'd really appreciate you taking the time to do that because it's probably the best thing that you can do to help us continue to do outreach. And for some more great content, head over to the Answers.TV platform. Try a free week, a free trial, and then sign up for an Answers.TV subscription. Uh, Until next time, I'm Cal Smith. Blessings to you and yours.